Well, a few years ago, I was given a VIP invitation to a special golf day in this really posh golf club in Oxfordshire. It was actually hosted by an Olympic gold medalist. That's kind of how special this event was. I had all the gear. I had kind of slack trousers, not too dissimilar to what I'm wearing today. I had a checked kind of jumper. I had one of those caps that golfers seem to wear. I had a bag full of clubs and golf balls. And as I sat in the clubhouse surrounded by these brilliant golfers, I thought to myself, I look the part. This is going to be a fantastic day, stuffing the next bacon butty into my mouth. And then my name got called, and I got to go to the first tee. Excitement welling up inside me. Come on, this is my moment to make my mark in the sporting world, I thought. So there I am, stood at the first tee, ball on the tee. Oh, oh no. I sliced it horrifically into the longest rough you could imagine. <laughs> Completely the wrong direction. I'd like to say that things improved from there, but they didn't actually. They, they got steadily worse throughout the day. I truly hacked round that golf course. I visited every bunker you could imagine. In God's creation narrative, God makes waters and land and all kinds of animals and trees. And into the middle of this good creation, he places humanity. Then God gives this pinnacle, humanity, of his creation a mandate. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This mandate gives humanity a unique place in God's creation. We're not just to kind of exist alongside the animals, but we're there to partner with the Creator Himself, to join in with His work in caring for the world. It's perhaps important at this moment to note that Dominion doesn't mean extract everything from the world that we possibly can and, you know, make it all ours. It means to care for the creation. It means to, to live in harmony with creation as God intended it to be. To be like a fruitful gardener caring for his garden. It was a, it was a world designed by God to exist in perfect harmony. Unfortunately, however, a little like standing at the first tee, creation gets sliced into the long rough. It gets whacked in completely the wrong direction as humanity fails to fulfill the mandate God has given. Humanity abandons the mandate, turns away from God, and turns on each other. We know the story of Cain and Abel, you know, where son turns on son. And then 
a couple of verses later, there's a guy called Lamech who says, if, Cain's, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, 77-fold. You see, the problem is God's good creation, the creation that was supposed to work in harmony, has begun to spiral into total and utter chaos. And we're only in chapter 4 of Genesis. We haven't got very far in. It's a pretty bleak start to a story. And it's into this world, this chaotic world, that ten generations after Adam, Noah is born. I'm going to show you a little video, hopefully, in a second. I wonder whether any of you have experienced something like this when you've been using a Windows computer. Error message after error message after error message. Some of you are laughing and saying, yes, I've experienced that. Um, error message after error message after error message. And then suddenly it gets to this blue screen of death where you know you can't do anything. You're frozen. You're trying to move the mouse, click on everything. Every button on the keyboard doesn't work. Nothing. It just doesn't work. It freezes. God's world has experienced error message after error message after error message. It's like the world has frozen on this blue screen. And the only way to fix this on your computer is to hit the reset button, to turn it off and turn it back on again. And so that's what God decides to do with his good creation. He says, if I wipe it out, I can start again. And I'll start again with this guy called Noah. And so God floods the earth. He resets creation. And we start with creation 2.0. And in that new creation, God reaffirms his mandate that he made in Genesis 1. And he affirms it with Noah. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. See, the mandate has not changed. And then God makes a covenant with Noah and his family. Never again will he flood the whole earth. Never again will he destroy it with waters. And when God makes a covenant with his people, he's making binding promises. Promises about his role in the partnership. But a covenant is more than just a contract. See, a covenant is wrapped up in, in an intimate relationship. It's out of God's love for his creation that God makes these promises. And so a covenant is this kind of intimately personal, yet legally binding agreement. And it's that intimately personal, yet legally binding agreement that God enters into with Noah and his family. He says, I will not flood the earth again. And it's bound in relationship and it's bound in law. And strangely enough, it's not because Noah is the perfect human being. 
read on a couple of verses, actually, and you'll find out that Noah really isn't the perfect human being. But God enters into that agreement knowing full well that Noah was still sinful, that he would still mess up, that he would still get it wrong. And perhaps that explains why in this covenant, unlike any other, there is no obligations for humanity. In every other other covenant that God makes, there's always some kind of expectations that, that we have to live up to, but not in the story of Noah. And here's why. God cannot rely on humanity for the future of the world. Only God can make commitment count. It is God who can be relied on for the future of the world and nobody else. After all, Genesis 6, 5 tells us all we need to know. The Lord saw the inclination of every human heart sinful from its youth. So it's no use on God to rely on humanity for the future of the earth. God and God alone makes commitment count because his commitment is backed up by every single aspect of his character. God is committed to his covenant in a way that you and I could never be. Despite that intimately personal, legally binding agreement, we always find a way to wriggle out of it, to break it somehow. Whereas if God broke that commitment, he would cease to be God. He's made a promise, he will stick to it. He will bring it to fruition. And as a sign to say, look, I've made this promise and and I'm not going to change. I'm committed to this. He puts a rainbow in the sky. Now, this isn't some kind of random symbol that he's just kind of plucked out of thin air. You know, he could have equally put a load of stars in the sky or he could have done anything. But he chooses a rainbow. You see, a bow is a, a weapon of war. And a bow was God's weapon which rained down watery arrows from the heavens to flood the earth. And in this moment, God puts this bow in the sky to say, I'm laying down my weapon of war. No longer will I flood the earth with watery arrows. And whenever you or I see a rainbow in the sky, not only does it uh, show us that God will not flood the earth again, it stands as testament to the fact that God is the one who makes commitment count that God is faithful, that God will be faithful. But we all know, don't we, that creation 2.0 hasn't fared too much better than the pre-flood creation. It's pretty chaotic. It's filled with (coughs) war and anger and hurt. 
But God isn't satisfied to stick and watch his creation just plunge into total and utter chaos. He's not content with that. And within a few chapters of Genesis, God is making another covenant, this time with a guy called Abraham. And this kick-starts his new plan, his plan of bringing all things back to how they should be, restoring the whole of the good creation, bringing things back to harmony. And ultimately, that plan is fulfilled through his son, his one and only son who was crucified on a cross. And it's that death and resurrection that makes it possible for all things to be made new. It's that death and resurrection power that has won the day. You see, God is committed to making his covenant last and fulfill his promises, even if it costs him his one and only son on the cross. God truly knows what it means to make commitment count. So what about us? You see, for a covenant relationship to work at its best, It requires both parties to agree to be what they should be, whether the other is being what they should be or not. Okay, so for a covenant to work at its best, it requires both parties to agree to be what they should be, whether the other party is being what they should be or not. Both parties are mutually agreeing to uphold the um, needs of the other above their own. And we know that God will always be what he should be. The problem is we're not always what we should be. But through Jesus, God is saying, come and be what you should be. I know you've messed up, but come and be what you should be again. Come and and have another go at being what you should be. You see, we're given a special invitation by the God who makes commitment count to join in with what he is doing, to join in with his work of restoring his creation to what it should be. And that's amazing, isn't it? That we get to join in with God in in the work that he is doing. We get to join in in making all things good and well to restoring harmony amongst his perfect creation. I guess, a little like my golf day. I shouldn't have been on that golf course, right? You have to have a... a, If you want to go and play there, you need to have a a handicap, so you have to be a a pretty decent golfer to go and play. I'm I'm sure Mike could probably knock around it all right, but you're not a golfer. Oh, no. Well, I'm not either, it turns out. But... I'm not a decent golfer at all. I am terrible. But I'd been given a special invitation by the club captain himself to come and play around that course. And he knew that I would be keeping the greenkeeper in in business for a lifetime, you know, more overtime than he could ever have. Or he'd never need. 
I was given a special invitation by the club captain to come and play. And okay, I hacked around the course, but I had a lot of fun on my way around. I joined in. And at the end of the day, I got to sit down with everybody else in the hall, in the go and clubhouse, and have the same meal as everybody else. I got to join in. And each one of us has been given a special invitation by the God who makes commitment count. An invitation to come and join in with what he is doing. No matter how unable we feel we are, or even how able we feel we are, the invitation is extended. And here's where it gets really exciting. You see, because the invitation is from the God who makes commitment count, he makes our commitment count. Because the invitation is from the God who makes commitment count, when we partner with him, he makes our commitment count, no matter how small we think it is. And not just today in the world around us, but for all eternity. You see, when we join in partnership with God, what we do today has an impact in eternity. Let me put it like this. Imagine you're walking through that new city of Jerusalem that's described in Revelation 21. It's absolutely perfect. It's amazing. And there's buildings all around you which are carved ornately and stunning. And you can't help but kind of be in awe of this, this city around you. But as you walk through the city, you, your eye catches a particular stone and you're drawn to it. So you go over and you look at it and you, you notice the scratchings on it and think, man, they look really familiar. And then it dawns on you that those were your scratchings. Those were your etchings. And yet, somehow, the etchings that you had made, which were, you know, they were all right, but they weren't perfect, have been transformed into this most amazing and ornate carving on this stone that forms this beautiful city that we are part of. You see, when we join in with God here and now, God makes it work in eternity. What we do now, in God's name, with God's help, changes everything. And we can be certain of this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 makes this clear. It says, because of Jesus, our labour in the Lord is never in vain. Whenever we labour with Jesus, he always brings it to completion. It's not wasted. It's fruitful. So where has God placed you today? Where is he asking you inviting you to say, come and join in with me. Come and join in with what I am doing in making all things new. Maybe it's as simple as taking a, inviting a neighbour around for a cup of tea and having a conversation. Starting a relationship. Maybe it's doing something much bigger than that. Maybe it's simple as 
becoming ordained. That's, the, that's an easy job. We get paid to do this. You guys have the hard work. Where is God calling you? What is God prompting you this morning? Say, come and join in. Come and join in with what I am doing. Come and care for my world. Come and care for the creation in it. Your neighbours. The environment. I could name, you could list, the list goes on and on and on. But maybe we'll just have a moment of quiet to give yourselves an opportunity to ask that question. God, where are you calling me? Where are you leading me this morning? Where can I join in with what you are doing?